And that's where we've started noticing how these agile um, agile formats for performance management started to be introduced. Uh, first, it was companies went to a, a biannuals and quarterly. And then from there, everything, it's like the, the uh, house of cards started to topple. You know, questions uh, began to um, be raised around compensation, for example. You're listening to Agility Avenue, a show that takes a closer look at the application of Agile beyond software teams. I am Moad Regay, your host. My guest today is Anna Tavis, Clinical Associate Professor and Academic Director of the Human Capital Management Department at New York University School of Professional Studies, Senior Fellow with the Conference Board and the Academic in Residence with Executive Networks. She was the head of Motorola's EMEA organization development function based in London, Nokia's global head of talent management based in Helsinki, chief learning officer with the United Technologies Corp, among other previous roles. She was on Thinker's 50 Radar in 2020 for her work and ideas on the reinvention of HR for the Agile Age. Her latest book is titled The Humans at Work, The Art and Practice of Creating the Hybrid Workplace and talks about the new pivot towards human-centered organizations. Hi, Anna. Thanks for joining us. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, My pleasure. Uh, Fantastic opportunity. And what a topic that we're going to cover on this uh, special episode. One of the areas that I want to kick off the conversation with is the future of work. Um, I think Post the pandemic, we've seen companies reacting differently to the prospect of hybrid workplace, which is, you know, it's 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 being brought by the employee experience, their feedback, and how they want to work. And if I quote from one of your newsletters on LinkedIn, you are saying that the pre-pandemic focus on employee experience, as curated by the employer has evolved into the employees taking control of you know their own lives. Um, what does the future workplace in, in all of this really look like to you? Mm-hmm. That's such an excellent focus for, for a conversation um, to you know anyone who is in the workplace right now considering students uh, considering entering the workforce. And um, obviously, the leaders of organizations and my colleagues in HR. Um, I think what became really clear to me the focus on hybrid or remote or in person is the wrong one. Uh, I think the conversation should be about flexibility. And uh, it's about what creates flexibility that accommodates both workers and employers as well. And that's a complex question, of course, because every organization has its own rhythm, its own cadence of how they work, who their clients are, and what's important to them. So I think starting out with what's your business model, what's important to you, um, and then designing around flexibility that will accommodate both um, employees and the employers um, at the same time. Uh, the pandemic itself, everyone is referencing as a uh, kind of a, a grand rehearsal for how the future of work is going to be. 
I personally don't think it's a good um, uh, model to follow. First of all, even though we certain trends have been accelerated, they've been accelerated, but the way we worked in the pandemic and the majority of the world in a, you know, in a remote um, environment is not what the workplace would look like because there were so many constraints in, on people uh, working, uh, working in general uh, in terms of physical presence. But most importantly, what people didn't have to confront in most places is that um, there would be people who would be more willing to go to the office and be in the office. People who I know, I'm, I live in New York City, uh, have very small homes. You know, what became a ho- what became an office is a kitchen table and, uh, and a closet for a lot of young professionals or, you know, aspiring uh, graduates moving to New York City, working for Goldman Sachs, living in a matchbox apartment because they most of their lives would be out there in public spaces and going out and working and et cetera. Um, so all of that um, has been denied to people. So I think that even though we pro- we've proven to ourselves that we can work that way, the future is going to be a lot more um, a lot more moderate, a lot more hybrid. And, and then again, the decisions will be made by specific cultures, specific organizations, and um, uh, both employers and employees, because with the labor market being what it is, employees can move around, you know, and we know it from the great resignation phenomenon. And I don't think that people quitting work, period. I think people are just finding the most accommodating um, uh, environment for themselves that they prefer because the market is so um, broad, diverse, and available. So in summary, the future is going to be flexibility, and it's not going to look like one size fits all. Everyone will have to make their own decisions. Fantastic. And I guess... That um, uh, amplified the uh, concept of employee experience, or as you perhaps see it, uh, the the uh, the new battleground that is competing on human-centered experience, not the manufactured employee experience. Um, so, how how this is going to impact businesses in the future? Oh, I think it will Im- impact businesses very positively because business, the pursuit of the business is productivity, right? At the lo- at the um, end of the day, what businesses are looking for are very productive, highly skilled workers who are also, to a certain degree, loyal to their organizations. And by, um, you know, the level of tolerance for you know, strict rules, bureaucracies that don't make sense or specific requirements that employees can't understand or connect to just because in sort of the top-down way, that doesn't lead to productivity the way it's going to be defined in the future of work, which is a lot more creative, a lot more uh, reflective, and a lot more collaborative. That requires a culture 
that's much more accommodative of diversity, personalities that come with different skill sets, et cetera. So um, I think that um, the companies have been reluctant to kind of focus on that low humanity of their workers in this fear of losing that productivity, losing control. But that was the issue um, that I think the pandemic helped us pretty much, uh, if not resolve, but at least created a good use case that that was not the case. As we know, productivity actually skyrocketed in the first, at least in the first few months of the pandemic when people were uh, working from home. So I think we now have a, a validation of the hypothesis that if you work with people, if you give them space, if you create flexibility, you are actually going to get a lot more um, out of people as members of your organization than if you define your own rules of how they need to work. Fantastic v- validations of the hypothesis. That, that that's a brilliant way of putting it. Um, and obviously, one of one of the things that emerged, I think, uh, post going back to the office, is this idea of well, a concept of metaverse and more and more companies are coming out talking about what it means for them. Um, and we've seen a lot of uh, technology companies, the likes of Meta, the likes of um, Microsoft, talking about the the metaverse from their perspectives and, and the integration of the metaverse with, with their own technology and product. So what does the virtual workplace look like and what does it mean to HR and the business landscape in general? Yeah, I mean, uh, metaverse is, a, is obviously um, a hot topic to discuss. Uh, there are lots of questions about metaverse, but fundamentally, it's not a, a, a brand new phenomenon. It's not something that we are not familiar with. In fact, certain areas of you know human life have already been kind of taken over by metaverse like for example gaming gaming and the um and where that um uh you know uh, uh, that experience came into the workplace was primarily through various types of assessments various types of um learning and development opportunities uh where those elements have been introduced and um and to a certain extent with various um, various um, uh, forms of this in the recruitment, onboarding, etc. I've seen some products uh, where, for example, onboarding was happening in the metaverse, where employees or you know newly coming into their organization had a much more accelerating onboarding experience because through the, this meta experience, they could, um, you know, visit several departments, etc. It was obviously all pre-staged, pre-designed for them. I've seen those tools already emerging uh, way before these big announcements came um, uh, to, you know, public into public discussion. Um, but you know, we still have a whole ton of questions around um, this um, this environment. Uh, We don't know, for example, a lot of us who have been in the profession for quite some time are thinking also about Second Life, right? I don't know if you remember um, that social 
kind of social media tool that where, you know, everyone was creating avatar and communicating at that level in some ways without the physical three-dimensional uh, space, social media provides that environment to a certain extent, but just in the analog way where you still don't have to be in some, some of those spaces don't have to be who you are. You can create a persona online and operate that way. Right. Um, and, um, so it will be interesting to see it, it, it to what extent it will be integrated. And I would think that again, it will be kind of staggered adoption, uh, as far as HI is concerned, it's going to come through, for example, again, I, I envision recruitment and onboarding will be an, air, um, an area that will uh, embrace um, metaverse. Again, giving people um, an ability to understand what it, what it means to be working in a particular company through these on, um, virtual experiences. Um, the other thing, uh, obviously, learning and development that's going to be huge. I suspect in education we're going to see a lot of these um, um, a lot of these tools being applied almost right away. Because right now, I, for example, when I teach, I have um, I, I use a lot of simulations that are basically online game games that um, uh, you know students play. Uh, simulating the the uh, real business environment or some other environment in which they're learning specific skills, so I think that area is going to be um, uh, deployed. Uh, however, I think it's just uh, we're just moving in the direction of diversifying the ways in which we're going to be interacting. It's not going to replace face to face. It may compete. It may very well compete with some of the collaboration tools and online tools that we have now. Um, but I think, and this is why, I, you know, I wrote my book, Humans at Work, and, and in thinking about centrality of humanity, I think it's only going to increase the value of face-to-face -face interactions. They're going to be, um, they're going to be, they're, there's going to be areas where, that's going to be uh, exclusively face-to-face -face at a much higher premium um, to their organizations than before. And uh, just to give you um, a sense of why I think there are some subtle, um, subtle actions that we're seeing from the companies. On the one hand, we see giant, uh, giant uh, technology companies saying they are not going to bring all of their people back. They're negotiating currently of how remote they're going to be. They're talking about metaverses, et cetera. But when I actually looked at, I, and I live in New York City, when I looked at the acquisitions, uh, recent acquisitions at the time of the pandemic that these companies have made in real estate, the largest real estate acquisitions in New York City, over billion, billions of dollars have been investing in buying, you know, historic and signature properties. And you think, why is that the case? And I think that, um, or Salesforce just announced that they're building, they're um, acquiring um, a, a 75 acres ranch that they're going to use for their employees 
for wellness and uh, well, you know, uh, uh, learning and development. They're going to bring the, uh, their new employees there to onboard. So we're seeing very interesting movements toward both metaverse and uh, a real estate, um, but in very specific ways. And again, because we're still sort of climbing out of this pandemic, we just should be watching those trends and then thinking about how to connect the dots and see where leaders are thinking to take us. If I move the conversation more towards um, the application of Agile in HR, and if we go back in time to 2018, I believe, that's where you published uh, HR Goes Agile on Harvard Business Review. And in kind of reviewing that paper, it's very interesting and exciting your take on where Agile is going from an HR perspective, but also some of the use cases that you brought in that paper. Um, for the benefits of our listeners, uh, can you give us a quick round uh, on the, you know, the inspiration uh, for writing that paper and what does Agile light, uh, the way you put it in the paper, actually means? Yeah, it was a very, very interesting journey um, to get to, you know, explore Agile and how it was um, evolving in specifically in HR, in the HR practice. It started out with performance management, you know, the first article that I co-authored with Peter Capella from the Warden School was about the evolution of performance management. Performance management was traditionally, you know, a very linear top-down setting goals in the beginning of the year and then um, uh, goal review um, appraisal at the end of the year. And that's how performance was being evaluated. And everything depended on that evaluation from compensation to promotions to just the overall investment in people. And what we started to see um, early in the century that companies were moving away from that very rigid model. Um, and that means that the performance itself has transformed. And the reason it was transformed was primarily with the advance of um, software technology. And it, it was the technology companies first that started to um, tweak their performance management systems often in response to um, the business moving totally away from this once a year traditional HR process because it wasn't reflecting at all what the performance of, let's say, software engineers looked like. That was much more, uh, you know, much more uh, iterative and uh, the goals were changing all the time. And so there was a need to respond to that new environmental work. And that's where we've started noticing how these agile um, agile formats for performance management started to be introduced. Uh, first, it was companies went to a, a biannual, then quarterly. And then from there, everything, it's like the, the uh, house of cards started to topple, you know, Questions uh, began to um, be raised around compensation, for example. You know, how can we, if performance changes so much, can should we be doing an annual uh, compensation review? 
or as, as some companies started to do it, much more frequent, much more ref, uh, responsive to the market um, assi- assignment of compensation. And, you know, Accenture was one of the companies that completely got rid of performance reviews in the traditional way and replaced it more with um, uh, with um, coaching and feedback um, element which is central to um, agile uh, methodology. And so, so at, for, at first in HR, I would say it was reactive. Um, smart HR people wanted to be relevant to their businesses, the, the businesses that they covered. Uh, but then later on, it just became um, a, a much more, um, you know, a much more accepted way to think about how all of HR processes need to be redesigned. And that's where we came up with, um, you know, started looking around and uh, talking to companies and realized that it was much more profound, much, went much deeper into all elements of HR from recruitment to learning and development um, and um, and other um operating, change the operating model of uh, organizations. However, before the pandemic, I would say there probably there were about 30% of companies that officially sort of embraced Agile. There were some champions who transitioned wholesale organizations into Agile, like, for example, ING Bank in uh, Netherlands, Um, You know, some companies got rid of performance management um, and there were, again, multiple ways of taking Agile on from the HR perspective. Um, It was um, depending on the company, depending on the uh, willingness of the leadership of the company to be considering a different uh, operating systems for HR. So there was a lot of variation. Uh, with the pandemic, it was interesting to see how some companies accelerated the adoption of Agile. And uh, But again, it was the reason we call it Agile Lite is because clearly some of the protocols that were initially established for the Agile process had to be um, flexed, had to be adapted to the online <clears throat> online environment. And so, you know, to make it the full circle, we're going to see where it's all going to land when we are going to have both, you know, hybrid, um, in the hybrid model, we're going to have both in-person and online opportunities, how much it will affect the way people work um, in the agile in the agile method. And that's where probably metaverse can help. If you're online, you better be in the presence of each other doing these agile standoffs, for example. And um, I guess at a, at a high level, I mean, there you, we talked about, for example, um, the the compensation process and responsive to, um, you know, I think what's called the multidirectional feedback and making that more frequent. Um, are there other areas within the organization that are impacted by taking the HR function into an agile ways of working, perhaps like a hiring process or other elements that, you know, if someone is listening here and they probably work within an HR function and and they're keen to bring some of this to their organization, um, what are the things that they need to consider and 
do you see a natural uh, logical steps for for taking a traditional HR uh, and making it more agile? Yes. Um, I mean, clearly, um, anything that has to do with um, technology in HR, HRS, um, tech support, et cetera, all of that has um, already transitioned into um, agile. Then, as I mentioned, um, it's very important to understand your performance management process uh, to make sure that your performance management process is aligned with how you want to work because it doesn't matter what you're going to tweak um, across you know, the HR operating system. If your performance management doesn't incentivize it, doesn't encourage it, doesn't set up kind of tracks in the sand by which, um, you know, people would be guided to a certain behaviors, it's going to be much, much more difficult to introduce agile. So even though you might not want to start with performance management, but at some a point in the change management process overall, that should be one of the primary considerations because it will help you accelerate the transition. And then I would say it definitely depends on our organization, but I'm seeing that definitely talent acquisition teams um, have been very agile in transitioning to agile. Um, I've seen some phenomenal examples of people Uh, For example, uh, IBM is a good example when um, they started working in a very different pattern, uh, working on multiple uh, multiple projects at the same time, accelerated the process of um, reduced some of the steps and accelerated the process, made made it less uh, hierarchical, had the stand-up meetings where they reviewed what's in the pipeline, what needs to move. So that was a very uh, successful first stand. Learning and development teams as well. Um, But it went all the way in some organizations, um, the whole whole of HR transitioned and everything from, and and as I said, that I I believe that performance management and compensation as a an extension of performance management or the outcome of performance management system is the is the nerve center of the whole uh, transformation process. So if I were to go and audit how organizations are doing on the agile transformation, I will always ask a question first, what their performance management process looks like. Um, and from there, I will get a lot of signals around uh, the scale, um, the adoption rates, and uh, everything that has to do with kind of organizations really committing to working in agile ways. Um, I, I, other than that, if, pe- if um, companies decide to stay with their more traditional performance systems, then there are just pockets of agile working. And that's totally acceptable because I don't think that agile is an inevitable universal next stage of operating systems. I think there may be some environments in which uh, much more traditional top-down process that requires a lot of compliance, a lot of uh, oversight 
I mean, to give you an example, nuclear, nuclear plant operations, you know, or even in some ways, um, you know, airline pilots, you know, we, we want them to be um, responsive and creative at the time of, um, you know, some unexpected challenges. But at the same time, you know, we really want them to follow the protocols and not try to come up with innovative ideas of how to fly us from London to New York every time they fly, right? That's probably not going to be very uh, uh, very comforting for us to know that we have an, a pilot who is actually experimenting every time he flies, right? Or she. Uh, so uh, so I think that we, going forward, there, there, there's going to be a lot of agile. There is a lot of agile, but there are also areas that are clearly not lending themselves to this way of working. Um, brilliant. Uh, and in a way, you covered um, a... Um, a topic that I wanted to get into, but feel free to um, circle back, and that is around the the coexistence of bureaucracy and agile ways of working. And I say bureaucracy, not necessarily in the true sense, but when we introduce agile, we see several or one function picks up a, a new ways of working, the others don't. You might have an organization where their IT department is working in agile and possibly their marketing department, but then the rest of the organization are either catching up or it's not on their roadmap uh, as such. And so an element of me there, as, as I was listening to you, um, I was thinking about this idea of coexistence for bureaucracy and agile ways of working and, and whether that's something you've seen working well or whether that's actually something we shouldn't even worry about, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, I mean, I wouldn't call it bureaucracy because bureaucracy has a certain negative connotation. It, you know, we will go with like waterfall, you know, waterfall and agile, right? Um, uh, yeah, I think that uh, some of the functions... Uh, and it seems that the kind of the rate of adoption across the organization and different functions is different. For example, marketing was about 10 years ahead um, of uh, HR. And, and it's not surprising. HR is a much more, there's a significant a, um, part, uh, areas of compliance in HR, for example, right, that are non-negotiable. So um, that remains to be intact. Like even to give you an example of the HR function, while we want to be agile in the uh, client-facing environments, but for example, labor laws and um, employer relations um, type of situations where you really have to follow the um, uh, rules and regulations of um, the countries you are in, of the states in, in the U.S. you are in. So um, there are certain areas that are just not going to lend themselves uh, at all to this kind of innovative, agile, and always flexing um, type of um, uh, organization. However, we do see examples at the more local level. For example, the government, you don't think of the government as potentially an agile entity, right? But in California, for example, I've came, I came across um, a few local examples of how 
uh, local municipalities were set up in an agile way. Again, more responsive to their uh, constituents, et cetera, et cetera, rather than just running themselves as big bureaucracies, to your point. And then um, in terms of the rate of adoption of these principles, um, also, it also has to do with um, how organization conducts change management. Um, it, the organizations that really want to operate in the agile way obviously have to invest in um, training, development, education of their employees and um, and again, uh, incentivizing and validating uh, the new ways of working at scale. Because otherwise, there will be a lot of kind of lip service done, but um, from the from the implementation perspective, there might be some challenges to the model if people don't really fully understand and commit to working in, in a different model. Fantastic. Um, I think we have um, come to the end of this um, very insightful conversation, Anna. Um, so just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. I think you are asking very, very important questions of all of us. So um, I hope that the whole community will be um, thinking along and um, sharing their best practices and their uh, use cases that we can all learn from. Thank you. To find out more about the show, you can visit agilityavenue.com. And if you have a chance, please subscribe to the show on Spotify or your platform of choice and let people know about it. I am Murad Regay, and you've been listening to Agility Avenue.